Hey everybody, Louis Extravaganza here, and along with my fabulous co-host, Kim Blackwell, we want to wish you guys health, safety, and serenity during this crazy time. Remember, we are all in this together, so take good care of yourselves and be kind and of service to others. Please support your local businesses whenever possible. Our sponsor, Oscars of Palm Springs, had to temporarily shut their doors due to the current pandemic, and we look forward to them opening their doors soon. Hey, everybody. This is Kim Blackwell. And Louis Extravaganza. And this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. Hey, everybody. This is Louis Extravaganza and along here with my fantastic co-host, Kim Blackwell. And I'm Debbie Mazur and I'm your guest today. And I'm so happy to see you. It's been years. Oh, my God. Years. Yes. The fabulous actress, Debbie Mazur, who all of you've known for a really long time. It's an honor. It's such an honor to have you on the show with us today. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bored. You know, I'm home. Like everybody else, um, my children are well. One is one is sleeping because she she's a, a senior in high school. Oh. So the seniors basically, in order to deal with this quarantine, they stay awake all night and they sleep during the day. They check into school in the morning before they go to sleep, <laughs> and they go to sleep all day so they don't have to like run outside and deal with the fact that they can't see their friends, right? And do their homework all night and watch movies and you know write their essays and whatnot. But they've been deprived of their prom, of their graduation. The other ones, what's it called, distance learning. So she's she's got like a nine to two schedule, um, which has been very interesting to see how children are learning. You know, without being in a classroom. Right. It's quite, I, I have so much respect for the teachers right now because they're on like case overload, home with their own children, having to be responsible for like 320 kids. So um, me personally, um, I'm very happy because I get to do some interviews, uh, you know, while I'm home. It's great. I don't, I can be pantsless. <laughs> I, I just have to put a cute face on and a nice top and I'm bam, I'm good to go. And there's no publicist. There's no cars. There's no drama. There's no wardrobe issues. I'm doing all my publicity for upcoming projects, just sitting on my fat ass here at home, which is becoming even bigger. I'm going to be Alcoholics Anonymous and Weight Watchers when all this shit's done. We'll <laughs> all be there, girl. We'll all be there. <laughs> you know? So, um... I, uh, but I've been very creative being at home. Um, you know, I got COVID-19 on the early side of things. Um, I started feeling sick, like in the first, uh, like the second week of, um, March. And, uh, so I got hit really hard. I will never know if my family got it. They had some type of symptoms, but, um, we weren't able to get them tested. I had a very high fever. So I went to urgent care. I just walked in on St. Patrick's day and got tested. And five days later, I found out that I had it. And I went through like the gamut of every part of the virus in terms of, um, I had the neurological aspect of it, which was no taste, no smell, uh, headaches, ears ringing constantly, fever for 10 days, like body aches and pains that were like intense, um, dizziness, almost hallucinations like you become really like whoa what's going on here mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, day 10 it went to my lungs um and because i've been a smoker and a 
had chronic bronchitis my whole life, growing up in New York City, probably surrounded by like cockroach shit and dust and God knows what else. We were all predispositioned to asthma um, just because of our buildings that were full of lead and everything. So um, yeah, I, I was very, really scared because I didn't know if, I, I didn't know if I would make it because I'm not trying to be dramatic, but like I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I, um, my doctor prescribed me an albuterol inhaler and that gives you heart palpitations and it made me cough when I inhaled and then the cough went into a spasm and then I couldn't catch my breath. So my husband opened up the windows, he talked me down from the panic attack part of it. And I, I, the last place you want to go is to the hospital in this period because there's nothing they could do for you except give you uh, oxygen and then, or a ventilator, which obviously we know that's not a good idea unless you absolutely need it. So um, it's been a very long journey. I think that the recovery of this uh, virus has been uh, almost as long as the virus itself, which was about 17 days. Um, I've been symptom-free for about three weeks now. And when I was, um, during the virus, I sent an email to Mount Sinai and um, because they have a blood plasma program. And I didn't hear back from them for a month. And just yesterday, I got the phone call that on May 2nd, I'm going to get tested for antibodies. And if I have the antibodies, which of course I do, because I'm symptom-free, um, then I get to donate blood plasma a few weeks later. And, th and that can save two lives, my blood. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, and thousands and thousands. I, I was case number like 7,737 or something like that. And um, like people are, are signing up to help people. So it's just been in a really amazing time to see the world slow down to watch the generosity of friends and neighbors and community and, you know, watching the healthcare workers. And one of the highlights of living in New York City, aside from the fact that we're strong and uh, resilient, is just watching the healthcare workers go to work and put themselves in the face of danger every day. So I've been very blessed to, that, you know, I just feel so blessed that people are, you know, resilient and they're, they're, they're doing their job, they're showing up and they're heroes and first responders. I live in a first responder neighborhood in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, when uh, the first couple of weeks, all you heard was sirens. And even now we're seeing dead bodies piled up outside of funeral homes, not in refrigeration. Oh, so this is very apocalyptic uh, here, uh, you know, and um, I just hope that, uh, you know, with you living in LA, Kim, um, you know, you've got a very smart governor, as do we with Cuomo. And um, I think, you know, hopefully, I'm, I'm just hoping that with all this, we're ahead of the curve because, uh, you know, the problem is people like um, the governor of, of, what is it, Georgia, they're all yep. Yeah. Bowling alleys. Hello. Like, do we really need a bowling alley open with holes you put your finger in and sweaty and you can't clean them? Yeah. Uh, no ventilation in there. I mean, I, I mean, like what? And hair salons and manicure salons. Like I am gone. I've gone like my gray has fully come out. I'm kind of embracing it. I feel like Debbie Harry in reverse. It's like free hair color. That's different. I'm like, wow. Oh my God. I cut my acrylics off. I got no nails. And my nails are like paper, but this is a time for healing. So I'm just trying to like embrace being natural because uh, that's really not my thing. And, um, you know. Yeah, but Debbie, I don't see any gray. Oh, that's or, because unless... we're on DV, uh, the video conference, whatever this is called, Zoom. 
Uh, I will come up closer, but yes, no. I, have, I have half an inch. Like if I don't part my hair, I looks like I have like a stripe. It's kind of fabulous. <laughs> and um, I went gray prematurely, like around 27, like lightly. And I've always, and I'm a natural blonde, like light, light brown is my hair color. Um, I've always dyed my hair darker because I don't know, I, I did it for a role and then it stuck. And then I married someone who liked brunettes. Uh, so I've, you know, I'm, and we've been married almost 20 years. So I just keep doing the brown. And meanwhile, like the, with the gray, it's like every, you know, it's like, oh, child, you better get the, the colorist. You You're know, so funny. like every two weeks. But um, so this is kind of refreshing. I'm like my hair, I'm putting like coconut oil, just my, my face cream, whatever's left on my hands. I just put it right into my hair. I'm like, let me just condition this. I'm going to come out of this looking like a butterfly. <laughs> really quickly, how did your husband and your daughter's react when you were diagnosed with COVID-19? I'm sure it must have been, you know, Lewis, that's a very good question. I mean, you're actually the first person to ask me that. And actually, it was a reaction that I did not anticipate. Okay, so first of all, I have, a, I, I keep, I'm like old fashioned, I like paper. So I keep things written down aside from like, you know, my cell phone. So I'm flipping back into my, like my book and I wrote down February, like 27th, 20th, whatever, uh, that we all had in my home headaches, sore throat, low-grade fevers, uh, body aches. It felt like the flu, right? But, but the weird part of it was the, the headache and the sore throat combination. It was a very, I said, this is like a weird thing, the fact that we all four have the same symptoms at once, and they're weird because none of us get headaches. We're not headache people. Right. It lasted a couple days. They got better, but that was that week that you're like, oh shit, I gotta go find anti-back hand gel. I have to find, oh my God, bleach wipes. Mm -hmm. We have to stock the house up. So I was like the mom running around trying to get like tuna fish and you know beans and pasta and you know all this stuff, running myself to the ground. Also, like, I didn't know if they were gonna close stuff down. So um, you know, because my husband's from Italy. And we have been watching Italy very closely in the press. Uh, and my brother lives in China. So I was even on top of knowing stuff, you know, from when Wuhan broke out. Like I, I was watching and how they put people under quarantine, how they closed the borders, how they were very, very strict. And I'm saying, like, why are they not closing the New York City school system? It's millions of people, people on transit, moms, dads, all, you know, having to get their kids to school. And, you know, uh, and Cuomo was going, oh, no, it's fine. And whatever her name is, Bardo, Dr. Bardo. I can't pronounce her first name because I, I, don't, I don't know how to say Oasis, whatever. And they're on TV on March 12th going, oh, no, everything's great. Fine. You're at low risk. Take the subway. Go support right. your local restaurants. And I'm like, I got to go see Billie Eilish at Madison Square Garden with six teenagers on Sunday on the 15th. Like, I... I'm not, I'm not into it. Like, can you please close the fucking city down so I don't have to tell my kid that I'm the asshole that's not taking her to the concert? And God heard my prayers because I did not send my children to school like the like two days prior to that weekend. I was like, you know what? You're not getting on the subway. You're not going to school today. It's too scary. Like, people are starting to die, and, like, why would you want to be on the train? So I know you asked me a simple question, but the long this is, like, the long answer to this so you need a little backstory. So they close everything up and then I get, I get a fever. So my kids knew that I had a fever. I got tested and I didn't get my results back for an entire week. 
I can't self-isolate in my home in New York City, in Brooklyn, because it's small. We have small spaces. I share, my, my house is from like, I don't know, 1902 or something, right? Mm -hmm. And my bathroom is, I don't know how like many feet it is, but basically it's a claw foot tub that's old with a plastic shower curtain, right? With the bar hanging above it. Okay. Then you got the pedestal sink and the toilet next to it. And that's it. If two people are in the bathroom at the same time, you're, bu you're bumping butts. Mm -hmm. And I share it with two teenage girls and my husband who could never get into the pan bathroom. And guys. so even with me being sick, knowing that most likely that I had it because I started having the symptoms of losing my, losing my taste and, and smell, mm -hmm. um, I would be bleaching down that bathroom, all the doorknobs, all the faucets, you know, the, the toilet flusher, the to everything daily, even with my fever. And they didn't say anything about it. The day, Lewis Kemp, that I got the test results back, uh -huh. I'm like, I was in the, I was actually like making a phone call from the bathroom and I'm like, oh my God, hello guys. Guess what? I got, I, I'm positive. And they're like, oh my God. Like not my husband, my, my, my oldest daughter was like, you need to go in your room and stay there. Oh, no. <laughs> <And> I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, like. I've been coughing. Um, one thing that they do is they give you, um, they give you, uh, they gave me codeine cough syrup because when you cough, you're, you're spewing out spores. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that helped you not only to not cough, but to um, calm down. So I was kind of like, at first I was not offended. They were reactive, but I felt as the mother that I knew that they probably, uh, I think they had it already and um so with that said uh they I, I got to still run around i mean i was in bed for most of those days and i was on the total like you know computer bingey show watching moment um but you know it was kind of uh it was interesting to see how they like skied and then they they were like i remember the day that i wanted to go out after like day 20 and being symptom free for like a week or so I was like, I'm going to go to Whole Foods. We need to have like some things in the house, you know, that we ran out of some vitamins and things I can't get it. Like Key Food, which is our local grocery store. Oh my God, Key Food. I can't believe you said that. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, my daughter was a cashier there actually. And my daughter had to um, quit her job. The day I got tested positive, actually when I got sick, I said, you know, I bet you I have this. You can't go to work anymore. And that means I, had, I cut my daughter's like money off. And meanwhile, she didn't have to go to school. And she was like, I need my job. I want that money. And like, I was like, because she felt like she was on the front line. She felt like she was doing something by being brave. Because like all the people that would come to the store thanking her for being there. And it made her feel really good. And she's a very hard worker. But I was like, look, if I'm positive, we find out I'm positive. You've been exposed. You could be giving it to other people. I'm sorry. So she was cool with that, you know. And um, it's been quite a... a you know, a journey because like when I wanted to go out to the store, people were like, why are you out? You haven't been tested again to see if you're negative. And I got treated like typhoid Mary. Wow. <laughs> and I, and they're right. Like, sure. I, I don't know if I'm not sh quote unquote, sh still shedding the virus. Uh, but I have zero symptoms. I've already had it in a major way. And now I'm going to be tested for antibodies and stuff. So, um, you know, I'll find out hundred percent where I'm at, but, um, you kind of you kind of feel it, but there's so much we don't know, and there's so many people out there walking around with it that um, you know you just got to wear your mask, wear your gloves, and try to stay home as much as possible. I love how they were like, "Ew, mom, go to your room." Yeah. <laughs>
And I, I complied. I did. I was like, okay. But uh, I remember at one point I was watching something on TV and uh, I started to cry. It was just like seeing death and, you know, and I was hearing about people that I knew, personal friends, family that lost family members and never got to say goodbye, never got to bury them, never got to have a funeral. You know, people that are Catholics that are very, you know, they need that, you know. Um, and, and, and just the amount of black and brown people in New York City that it was completely hitting, um, you know, like in, in numbers that were off the charts and my friends' friends and their parents, and I just, was crying and my, my daughter went to hug me, my youngest one. And I said, no, 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 don't hug me because you might get it. And she goes, Mom, I don't care. And she gave me this big hug. Oh. And uh, it was really, you know, I don't know, the, sorry. The amount of like love and um, compassion and help that people are giving each other right now in this moment is just really kind of fantastic. You mentioned you were raised Catholic, but your dad was uh, born into the Jewish faith. No, he was not. My oh, father's okay. my father's my my father's mother married a Jew. Oh, okay. Uh, and so in Judaism, and they and so and they weren't practicing um, I mean, Jews at that point, obviously because it was World War II, and they were being killed and hunted. So she got pregnant. They got married, and then he had to go into hiding, and she never saw him again. And so when she, she went through what's called displaced persons camps. And um, when she came out, she ended up in the Bronx when she, when she could, like made it over, over here. And, uh, and so she raised her son Catholic. Uh, I mean, my father had more like, you know, uh, tattoos of saints and stuff all over his body. And, I love it. But of course there was a big Elvis Presley painting above his bed. He liked Elvis Presley. You were born in Jamaica, Queens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to know about your Woodstock story. Oh, cool. Well, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get to read the book eventually. I'm going to write it. the book. As I'm trying to remember some of this stuff, I, blo I blocked out a lot of things because in that period, I was a city kid who, whose mother became a hippie and then dragged her upstate. So we lived in this wonderful house. Gosh, the name of the road, I think it was High Falls Road. It was between Saugerties and Catskill. And it was gorgeous up there. I mean, in retrospect, like I can appreciate it now because there was no phone, cell phones. And, and then our phone was on what's called a party line. I don't know if that's because my family was poor or if that's just how it was. But you would pick up the phone and like six other neighbors like, oh, excuse me, like I'm talking. And you're like, pick up off the phone. Like I need to make a phone call too. You'd be having like a, a fight with like, who, you don't even know what neighbor was chewing the lines up. Um, but so my parents were like, you know, they were busy doing their hippie thing. She opened up a health food store in Woodstock, rather than Saugerties. It was like, I think the first health food store in Saugerties. And she became a, a homeopathic doctor. She, and the health food store was right next to uh, a taxidermy shop that was from the 1800s. And it was filled with birds and wildlife and crazy taxidermy animals. I would look to, you know, like bird cages and stuff. It was something out of like a movie. So I used to love to like go with her to work here and there and like then like just hang out in the taxidermy shop because I love taxidermy. My parent, my mother grew weed. Uh, I remember one night her and uh, we got a phone call in the middle of the night and they had a, basically like 
a field of it, you know, growing that was about six feet high. And they had to chop those, that marijuana down in the middle of the night, which they hung it upside down in the garage. My garage, you could smell, you could smell it from like, you know, like far away. I mean, it was like so strong, but they were doing their hippie thing. I remember my mother couldn't cook because she had me at 15. And uh, by her becoming a, a country girl, even though she was a city girl, she learned how to grow vegetables, would force me to like do the garden, like help her weed and stuff, which I hated. I was like, why are you making me weed? You know, I don't want to be in the sun and pick out, you know, bugs and dirt and this weeds, whatever. But she made me do it. And what I got to learn, you know, is how she was early from that farm to table type of thing. And right. I remember distinctly my mother becoming a good cook. Finally, thank God. And she used to like either let her mother take care of me with the feeding or she'd be serving me some Swanson's airplane, those TV dinners that were nasty. I mean, like it had like, you would get like a peach compote next to some dried up weird, and I was just like, oh mommy, please, can you please learn how to cook? And she finally did with her garden vegetables and she started making great stuff. And um, long story short, uh, the next husband, the third one, I didn't get along with him and it was causing friction between me and her and, I was also becoming a teenager and I couldn't take the boredom of being in the country. So you moved to Long Island? At, well, it's, there's more of a story. I ended up Woo. in juvie. I ended up in juvie. Yes! I got into a fight with my mother. She smacked me and I was high and I smacked her back. Wow. Um, and drama ensued and, I got, and he called the police on me and the police came and they just took me away and threw me into this juvie home upstate. And... It's a longer story, but I got chased out of that juvie home with this crazy girl who was a prostitute from the Bronx named Tamara, and she managed to get a kitchen knife from the kitchen. Oh my God. And came after me. I was like running through the woods. I remember banging into a tree, almost passing out, falling down, bleeding. I got to the road, hitchhiking, made it into town. Went to a local store, said, please can I make a phone call? Called my um, godparents who lived in Long Island. They said, I'll see you in two hours. Wait there. They drove upstate. They picked me up. They called my mother. They said, listen, uh, we're going to take Debbie for a little while. I ended up staying there for like two years, um, which was great because I got to be able to uh, have like sort of like a normal high school moment, learn an instrument, get back into my studies. Uh, I was really into journalism at the time. I was playing flute clarinet and saxophone. I was studying music theory, classical music theory. And then it all kind of unfolded where I started like, you know, hitting the city on the weekends, ended up, you know, <laughs> you know, and by the time I was like 16, I was like, I'm out, peace. Uh, and um, then, there, then there's the whole New York City uh, thing that brought me to looking into the mud club and working at um, uh, I worked at Fiorucci. I worked at a restaurant called One University that was run by Mickey Ruskin, who also uh, did um, Haraz. And it was a very tail end of 54. I was too young, but I went to like the last few moments of it. Um, but I was more into like, you know, I, after the mud club, I ended up at the Paradise Garage, the Loft, Fun House. Oh um, and I was hanging out with the Queens because like, I was like a fabulous dancer always was and all my friends were mostly gay men and we, we were fantastic dancers as well and we used to even go like to after like you know we would get out of our jobs or school or whatever we, on the weekends we'd end up at the piers 
hanging out down in the village. And that's when I started meeting all the kids. Like this is pre-Paris uh, uh, is burning. I, I knew those kids. And, um, and then I know that you're gonna ask me this question, so I'll just beat you to it. And then when my girlfriend, Madonna, um, <laughs> you know, uh, when I were hanging out, um, I said- Now you met her at Danceteria, right? Yes, I uh, was in an elevator. I was an elevator operator, me and this girl, Audrey, who looked like uh, Annabella from Bow Wow Wow. Yes. You know, Buffalo Girl, or whatever that. And she, um, and Madonna like walked into my elevator one day and she's like, hey, you wanna dance? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. It was a slow night. And she was trying to get uh, the DJ to play like one of her tapes. Um, so she was always kind of coming up there and trying to get up into the DJ booth. You know, you know how she is. Very, very <laughs> persistent. Um, and uh, and then like we started dancing and, we, and I was a good dancer and I hadn't really met anyone like her. And you know, she was from the Midwest, but she had like an attitude and she had a, a rawness about her, a sexuality. She was very funny and witty and, um, and she was, you know, she was like fast, which is important for me. Leo a girl. Huh? A Leo. Yes, we're both yeah. Leos. And we had, um, I'm like, look, uh, you need to come with me. I got to turn you on to these kids because you're going to die when you see, um, you know, how fantastic they dance and it's a whole different thing. And it's, you know, it's kids from the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, wherever they come from. And it's a whole other like world out there. And, and I brought her to, I think it was tracks and we got, I, I like went down to the piers, told people like, you know, get, get the kids together because um, I got David Del Valle and no, David DePino and um, you know, some, some people coming, you know, David DePino was going to spin and all the kids were just going to like do their thing, but they knew that she was coming. And that's when uh, she discovered that culture and turned it into a, a, a movement of, with Vogue, which was, fantastic and one of my favorite songs and then like she hired all you guys you know which was just like you you, you know the performance level got taken up a notch even just because now you're performing like you know in front of huge crowds and um and it became I, it became a movement and i'm just so proud to see shows now like pose because even though it's not the the gritty rough version it's kind of like a mixture of like the gritty rough story with a little bit of RuPaul's Drag Race involved, um, which it wasn't like that, as you know, but it was something where you would see the balls and these, no one had money, no one had money, no, no one had plastic surgery, they would get, like, if any of the, dra the drag queens were getting like silicone shot into them. Um, it wasn't all of like what it is today. Um, the, the men, as queenie as they were, they were butch queens, they, were, they would wear fabulous suits. And, you know, then you had the banshee queens. And I just, <laughs> I just missed all that because that was really a moment where, for me, even though I'm older and fatter, I still like to get on a dance floor. And my kids are like, ew, mom, what are you doing? Because I'm like, oh, like, doing and hustling and whatever. And they just don't know the scene. And, but you know what, when this is over, um, I need to get out there. Like Honey Dijon was going to be here in uh, April and now everything's canceled. And I was like, oh my God, because I follow her on Instagram and I was like, couldn't wait to hear, you know, some fierce house music. 
and just take over the dance floor and hustle and do my thing. Yes. So I remember that whole like time and I call it my six degrees of separation moment because Debbie was friends with Madonna. But Debbie was also a hairdresser, uh, makeup artist, hairdresser with her friend Robert. And Robert was friends with Michael, and Michael was boyfriends with Louis Ninja, who was our connect. <laughs> so when they all came right. to us and they were like, Debbie is, you know, wanting us to do something and put it on tape and, you know, send it out. And so we got this tape together and we sent it up along the line. And uh, and then that's when we uh, heard and I just call it my six degrees of separation. OK, so you remember Donna at Danceteria. You did her makeup for everybody. You also originated the makeup for Feed the Plow. Speed the Plow, Goose and Tom Tom. I did uh, a couple of her world tours with her, a bunch of her uh, you know, editorial stuff with her Brits and whatnot. But after Speed the Plow, I got tired of working for her. I was like, you know, you can't, you know, I, I can't, I can't. Like I, you know, like it's not my fault that the subway took a little bit longer and I'm here 10 minutes late because she's a stickler for, you know, being on time, which I appreciate. <laughs> but don't yell at me because I can't control the motherfucking subway. Then you send me a car. <laughs> no, um, I got to a point where I just didn't want to work with her anymore. I mean, as a friend, I, I would obviously help her out, do her makeup or, you know, whatever. But I, I just couldn't um, do that anymore. You know, we've had a long history. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I, you know, I, at a certain point, I also was, you know, studying seriously to be an actor. And I just really had wanted to focus more on that. Yeah. Um, I was in acting school for five years and what paid my bills was hair and makeup. Right. But like, I just, sometimes it's, it's you, you can't work with your friends and it became that it became like that. I'm like, oh, no. yeah, yeah. No. How has her friendship impacted your life? Um, it really hasn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I have, a, I have a friend who, who, who loves me. Um, we, uh, because she's Madonna, like sometimes like she'll have a birthday party and it's a destination thing and she'll pay for a hotel and that's kind of fun. But in terms of impacting my life, it, it hasn't impacted my life. My, what, what impacted my life was, um, I mean, we, we've gone through things together. We've seen each other fall in and out of love. We've had children. We've seen death. We've gone through the AIDS uh, yeah. crisis. So I feel like, you know, because we were both in kind of public positions, we got to join forces and kind of try to make a difference in keeping a voice out there and keep making the LGBTQ plus community a, a, a safer place, a better place. But, you know, Madonna is consumed with Madonna. We all know that. And I have worked to get my career on track on my own. I have my own family. I live in another uh, country. I live in Italy as well. So, you know, we check in, we, we, we say, we talk all the time, but um, it hasn't impacted my life because her success never generated my success. And I like that because it's just a normal friendship. She's just another girl. She's a girlfriend. Right. Uh, and one of my oldest girlfriends that I've had in my adult life. But, um, you know, it, that that's the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you so, guys have one of the most admired friendships because out of all of us, you know, you've known her the longest. But well, you've had this career and an amazing career just all on your own. What has been the most memorable role for you? 
would say Goodfellas um, is one that tops my chart because um, I had done some smaller films uh, prior to that, but um, that was my big first uh, feature. And it's with Martin Scorsese and fantastic actors. And then, um, you know, and so that was the, my, one of my favorite. And then I have to say, I've got two other directors that I just have adored working with. One being Spike Lee, because Spike and I have done, I think, about four or five movies together. Very collaborative. We're friends. Um, we've seen each other grow. I respect him very much. And um, we've told some good stories, some ugly stories. He lets me improv. Uh, and... And Michael Mann. Michael Mann is somebody that I'm very close with, and he's a brilliant director, and I'm close with his family, and I just love working with him because it's a very collaborative process. Was there a role that you ever regretted not taking, like you know, The Sopranos? <laughs> um, well, it wasn't. It wasn't offered to me. Um, that particular series, I had done Goodfellas. I had done some witness to the mob or some horrible movie that De Niro then produced. Um, and I started, my career started going by the way of um, typecasting. Mm -hmm. And I always had more uh, than playing like the hard ass, the, the, the tough lawyer, the tough New Yorker or whatever. And when The Sopranos came around, no one knew how brilliant David Chase was, who'd never heard of him. And, um, and I just thought, oh, you know, I, I don't see this. And it was James Gandolfini's, like, wife. And I honestly thought, like, I'm kind of too young. I, I, it, it, I, I'm not right for the part. And in retrospect, I didn't go in for it. I kind of wish I had just because I would have liked to have gone in for another role because the series was so brilliant. Instead, I ended up on Entourage. Uh, so there are no mistakes. And when you're on, you know, one HBO show, you can do another, but they were conflicting in terms of timing because one was East Coast and I was living on the West Coast at the time. But um, there's nobody better than Edie Falco. You know, when you think about that role, that's who Carmela is. So um, I don't have any regrets really about anything. I mean, I only regret that people didn't get it sooner. So here's what I want to let you guys know, is that on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, um, it'll, it'll exist there because I don't know when you're gonna add this podcast, but um, I shot in Madrid, Spain, a year, two years ago, a TV series called Arde Madrid. Arde Madrid means uh, Madrid is burning. And it is a eight episode, half an hour each, dramedy, shot in black and white. And it's about the Franco era. And I play Ava Gardner. And Ava Gardner, for real, moved to Madrid in 1960. And she was, you know, having affairs with bullfighters. She was still fighting with her ex-husband, Frank Sinatra, uh, having major parties. Uh, and she was a free woman and she, and the story sort of about like the, how people in Madrid at that time were repressed and needing to be free. So it's this brilliant, brilliant series, um, that is airing on something called MHZ, yep. which I think is available on, um, I heard Amazon Prime or Roku, or you just type in MHZ, think of megahertz choice. Uh, and on May 5th it airs and you know, it's eight episodes. Half an hour each, so you can even sign up for like the one week trial for free. 
and you could watch this in four hours. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> I won. I didn't win. I, I was nominated. The, the series was nominated and won every single thing in Spain, South America, Mexico, and London. Um, and it only got here now because um, I think there was an issue because it was shot in black and white. And people are like, no, we don't want that. No one's going to watch it. And it was a huge hit over there. So um, I had to learn Castilian Spanish. Ooh. Um, my accent in, in Spanish, uh, because I grew up in New York, is more Puerto Rican or Cuban. And I auditioned, and he's like, yeah, that's great. You can totally handle it, but you need to speak with a Castilian accent. So I had to go learn that. It took four months. I never tried to look like Ava Gardner. I, you know, I, I embodied her spirit, mm -hmm. um, which was full of life and dancing and, you know, just fantastic. Um, and um, funny enough, Madonna and I went to see... Frank Sinatra about 27 years ago at the Greek theater. And he would only see people before the show. So we went backstage and he kind of looked past Madonna and he goes, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, me? And he grabbed me and he gave me a hug. And he goes, you remind me of my Ava. Wow. So I feel like I had his blessing all these years without knowing that I would be asked to do this series. And it's written uh, by, um, uh, a woman named Ana Costa and her partner, uh, Paco Leon, who's in it and also was a director. And he's beloved in Spain. Almodovar gave us his blessing and the whole crew all works on Pedro's movies. So it has a really cool look. And um, I'll send you the link, Louis, after we get off this and you can share it with whomever. Okay, um, honey, so you don't have to deal with I have the link already. I saw yeah, the preview. No. I know what you look like. You look amazing, honey. Oh, yes. Thanks. Okay, well, if you need if you need it, let me know. Yes, well, of course, send it to me. But uh, I saw the preview and I was like, when, when, when? And, you know, and besides the fact that you look stunning in it, it's really funny. It's really, Thank really you. funny. No, it's good. And yeah. you know, the thing is, it's, it, it really is history. I mean, in that era of, of, of having a dictator, Franco, yeah. they were very repressed. And so people were like, you know, partying hard and getting drunk and like, you know, needing to fuck, you know, and they were like feeling all this guilt about it. And so it's just interesting um, because it, you know, it's, it's loosely based on facts, but uh, obviously um, it's fiction. It's, it, it was really something to do and I'm really proud of it. So I, it's funny because by doing press is that like, normally we have like the driver, the PR chicks that are running around calling you, emailing you, what, oh my God, you have a budget for the, uh, you know, a little outfit for your wardrobe and you know, the timing and oh my God, we've got to get to Regis and Kelly or Kelly and Ryan, whatever. And here I am, <laughs> I could be naked uh, with some lipstick on and I'm sitting here in front of my computer and I'm probably going to do the same amount of press and get the word out there because all people are doing right now is staying home. Yes. So, yeah. And the show is definitely a must-see. So, you guys, if you're listening, Arde Madrid, and you have to look it up. It's so, so good. May 5th, it premieres May 5th. Another thing that I was, uh, you know, fanboying on and, you know, freaking out about, and actually I visited you at your, in your house in uh, Los Angeles, I think, when about the time when you were about to either do it or doing it, was Extra Virgin, your show oh, yes. on, yeah. uh, it's on Prime. It is? Yes, I just, yes. I, mean, I don't even know that. Yes, it's on Prime Video, season one and two. Oh, fantastic. That's, I'll tell my husband. I don't watch myself, so I never know where anything is. 
I did six seasons of that show, which we created it. Yes. We wrote it, we produced it. And it came off of the fact that my husband was like this great like cook, not a chef, just a really good cook. And I'm like, you know what? We should like record, we're like Ricky and Lucy in the kitchen. We're always having so much fun. Why don't we get like, we'll put ourselves, you know, we had this video camera. We had like the tripod and we're like, and he knows how to do all the editing and stuff like on a computer. Cause this is before YouTube. So YouTube had just launched and we started doing these like blog episodes. We blew up our, our, our social media cause Instagram didn't exist then. It, it, it crashed our whole thing. And, but our uh, a guy who was from the Food Network said, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. And by the way, um, you know, we're gonna start this new channel. Would you guys like to do a show and be like, you know, the first family of the cooking channel?" We're like, uh, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and it kept on going and going, and um, and it was just fun because we ha I have I have the great fortune to have married somebody. Who is, whose family has property above Florence in the middle of the fields of uh, Fiesole. It's right above Florence. And it's all olive groves, olive trees, and the house is from the 11th century. We had the ability to shoot, and the house that we were given was like falling apart. It's where they stored the olives and livestock. So like you'd light a fire in the fireplace and all the smoke would be falling back in because it hadn't been tended to. You know, I had a kid with asthma. So it made for kind of like a green acres sort of you know, fish out of water type of concept, which we, you know, played into like, oh my God, she's got to go get some eggs to make a frittata. And there's me like wearing heels, going to the chicken coop. Um, and we had fun with it. And like, it's we didn't kill each other, thank God, because there was moments where I'm just like, listen, you know, the network would want one thing and they would want to get into our relationship where they would call the producer and be like, say something in one ear and get them to fight. And I, I put the producer up against the wall. And I said, let me tell you something. My relationships, my children are off limits. You don't get what you want. You get what I give you. And if that doesn't work for you, then ciao, because I am not going to exploit my family. I'm making a very lighthearted, comedic food show. No reality here. And you're not going to see any drama and me crying and throw my kid under the bus. You're married to a certified Italian knight. Yes, I am. I forgot. Well, I was, right. I, you know, look, honey, I was fucking him way before he became a knight. But, uh, you know, but he's always been my knight in shining armor. Uh, and I, it's called a cavaliere. So, uh, cavaliero, cavaliere. Um, but yeah, no, he, I was very proud of that. We also won a James Beard Award for uh, Extra Virgin, our cooking show, which I was very proud of. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. And you know, I'm just happy because my husband has shared Italian culture in America. To sh so it's not like the typical checkered tablecloth. Hey, Vinny, Frankie, come get some pizza, meatball, spaghetti. Like, no. That's not how it is. So there's another part of Italian cooking, Italian food that's actually simpler. Um, and it's, it really goes by region, but you know, it's not the abondanza version of the south of Italy that came to the Lower East Side that's turned into another culture in itself. Like, you know, food in Italy, there's a history behind it. 
you know, why does the shepherd carry anchovies of the hunter? Because he's going into the woods and he wants to have something a little bit salty that's preserved. So then he puts it into, you know, the frying pan on the fire to give you that nice flavoring from when he's making like, you know, whatever he's cooking up in the forest. Um, the same thing with the shepherds. Like, you know, everything has like a history behind it because it's been done for thousands of years. So I love that element. And it was a real turn on for me to have a, uh, a, a, a boyfriend who turned to a husband to, that turned me on to history that I could touch. Like going into his grandmother's basement are these olive oil terracotta jars that are like as big as me practically. And they're hundreds of years old. And, you know, just to think about how people functioned in another country like, you know, centuries ago. Um, and the beauty and the sacrifice that he made in leaving his country to come be with me, which has been uh, now 19 plus years, and to devote himself to cooking, feeding a family, teaching us how to cook and reuse leftovers. Uh, like say we make a, a beef stew, then um, the next day we'll turn it into, add like a red sauce that we make, turn it into an incredible like pulled beef pasta sauce um, or use your leftover, like, you know, vegetables that you didn't eat the night before, like, you know, the sauteed zucchini or broccoli and next, spinach. And next day you put it into a frittata, you know, so you're saving money you're not wasting any food and you're eating beautiful, healthy things. People go, oh my God, how come you're not like, you know, 500 pounds with all the food that he's cooking with the fresh bread and the, 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 and I just attribute it to, um, you know, the fact that it's fresh, number one, it's made with, you know, good ingredients. Um, it's also portions, but I have to say on this particular quarantine, the pasta has been a little abundant and I'm a little curvier. <laughs> How did you meet him? Um, we met, uh, I was going on vacation. I always, you know, my birthday's in August. So, um, that's kind of the time in my business, in the film business, where a lot of people are away for whatever reason, and kids are off of school, and da, da, da. I was single at the time, and I was going to take a trip, because I've been working and working and working, like no time to like live or think my life. Uh, and I, I wasn't even able to, I, I just, I needed to get away. So um, I went to Europe, and I was gonna go to uh, Spain, Italy, Paris and just kind of bounce. I had friends in different cities and I was like, can I stay with you? Can I stay with you? Oh my God. Um, and I told Madonna, I'm like, look, um, I'm going to be bouncing around Europe and you're going on the drowned world tour. Um, where are you starting off? And she goes, Barcelona. She goes, why don't you like, kind of like, like kind of schedule the time that you're in the same places as me so we can hang out. I'm like, bet, that sounds good. And which I, the, one of the perks was is that like, if she was getting a hotel for her dancers, I could get a room in a hotel really cheap. And then like, I would be able to like, you know, spend time with her, um, you know, when she wasn't rehearsing. And so we started off in Barcelona. We opened the tour with that amazing, uh, how do you call it? kimono that like spanned the expanse of the stage it was such a fantastic concert that was my favorite tours of hers and i walk in to visit her i get off the plane and go to the um the venue and she's rehearsing at the stadium and i walk in and there's my friend um luigi who's the hairdresser and then she's got some makeup artist who's like 
sweating, like losing her shit. And I'm like, ooh. And Madonna's like quiet and giving her like, you know, like the side eye and like going like, you know, get your finger out of my eye or like whatever. And I thought, oh, this is not going well. And I said, you know what? Um, let me help you. I said to the girl, I said, just, just, just watch. And I said, can I, can I take the brush? And, uh, you know, I was like, this is how you have to do it. Stop acting nervous because you don't need to be. She's got a beautiful face. It's not that hard to paint this face. The biggest problem you're going to have is that this makeup that you're putting on her right now is going to melt off in five minutes, five minutes. She's going to be drenched. So maybe use pencil instead of liquid liner, you know, things that are not going to run down her face. And I, I only knew this because I, I, I trial and error. <laughs> um, and because I had done it with her before. And long story short, she fired the makeup artist in that moment. And I was going to that makeup artist. Um, but anyway, I, I said, you know, don't take this personally. Like, you know, and Madonna said, can you do me a favor? Um, I'm going to be in Italy, Paris. Do you think until the next person um, comes in who's available that I want to do my makeup, can you just do the shows in Italy and in Paris? I said, yeah, just make sure you put me up at a nice hotel, send me a car, whatever. Cut to, um, I'm now going to Italy. Um, I go, okay, bye, Madonna. I get on the plane and I go to Italy and I get stuck at the airport. My flight's delayed and I'm with this, um, this gay man and this lesbian who had seen me. They know I was like Madonna's friend because, you know, they all know everything. And they um, <laughs> were go also going to Florence. And they go, are you staying, at, uh, you know, like here? And I'm like, yeah. And they're the kind of fans that stand outside of the house and go, Madonna, we love you, Madonna. They knew where I was staying. And I hadn't, um, I didn't know where I was staying. So we all took this, like, trip together from Barcelona to Florence. And they had a car parked at the airport and they drove me to the house where I was staying and said, ciao. And I never saw them again. I, um, I got to the house and now this is Katia Lebec. Katia Lebec is a very famous French classical pianist. Um, I guess she's in her 60s now and uh, her, she performs with her sister, Marielle Lebec. Uh, they play two grand pianos together. They've played with Miles Davis. They've been around forever. They perform all over Europe. And I met her when Madonna got married to Guy Ritchie. So um, she was at the wedding and we hung out and she was lovely. She said, Debbie, if, if ever you are in Paris, or you are in Firenze, you must come to see me, blah, blah, blah. So she goes, here's my number. You know, I called her. Um, Cause you know, <laughs> like why not stay at your house? And she lived in this wonderful house in, in um, um, Piazza Santa Spirito was this very special piazza in Florence and uh, it had so much history like the gardens the vines were 500 years old and protected and um, the home was gorgeous and she was rehearsing uh, a jazz band that she was going to go on tour with that summer and my husband happened to be working with her so he had been sent to pick me up as Madonna's friend is coming in can you go to the airport and pick her up as a favor to me and he's like, yeah, sure. I, he went twice. And it's like 45 minutes each way. And my plane never showed up. So he's like, fuck this. He walks in at midnight to her home. And he was so cute. And it was like, when he walked to the door, it was like sun rays coming out of his head. And I'm like, who is that? And he spoke English. And, um, and that, and then we were talking that night and I was wearing chancletas that had marabou on them. 
and we, and we were smoking cigarettes and and I was wearing like a cat on a hot summer slip because like it was like 300 degrees summer night and his cigarette ash burned the marabou on my chancletas oh. and they, they like went on fire we laughed we put it out and the next day um she was having a, a grand dinner right and so the table outside was from the 15th century in her garden uh that expanded they probably sat like I don't know, 25 people or something. And she had these ancient candelabras. She had ordered all the food from takeout, like, you know, special Florentine restaurant and special um, ice cream or, or gelato from Vivoli, which was around the corner, which is like, you know, very famous. So it was this magnificent evening with, you know, about 25 people. And she sat, Gabriele and I, next to each other. And at a certain point, he goes, hey, um, I ran out of cigarettes. You want to go get it, like, you know, come get a pack with me. We'll have a drink in the piazza. I'm like, yeah. And we did. We had a caperinha, of all things, a Brazilian drink, a caperinha. And uh, we took it and sat on the steps of a 12th century church and just sat on the steps. We sat there for like two, three hours talking. And I'm like, oh my God, we've got to get back to the party. And we were about to walk back into the party. He goes, you're fantastic. We should have kids together. I'm Aww. like, wait, wait, what? What did he just say? But it was so cute and it was so genuine. He it wasn't he wasn't hitting on me. He truly was just like thinking, oh my God, like she's amazing. We sat down next to each other at the table after that moment and like things changed. It was like I started blushing. We started looking at each other like, oh my God. And so the party ended. And I don't know now if I kiss left to right, because they kiss each other like chow, chow, chow. And I I I think they go usually like right to left. I still am dyslexic about that. So you end up, we ended up banging lips, right? And I'm like, oh, shit. And then he walked out and that big, huge, thick door closed. I like olive oil from Popeye slid down that door like, what the fuck just happened? And who is that? The next day, because I told my girlfriend like, he's fat. Oh my God, what a great night. So she made him not work the next day and take me around Florence. And that's the beginning of our love story. We ended up making out in front of the Ponte Vecchio. I have a picture of the moment and the rest is history. We never left each other's side. I was, I went to Paris. I said, Hey, listen, Oh, by the way, I said, listen, um, I have to go do Madonna's makeup in uh, Italy. Do you want to, I mean, up in um, Milan, you want to come with me? And um, she sent a car. And we, and I said, well, since you're staying at Donatella Versace's house, I'm not going to stay in Milan. I want to stay at Villa d'Este. Villa d'Este, it was only one night. Villa d'Este is um, like a premier old villa that's one of the five-star hotels right on Lake Como. It's magical. And we had never slept together before. So that was where we first um we spent the entire night talking and chain smoking cigarettes on like, you know, looking at the window, like falling in love. And, um, and like, that was like our first place. And then I said, okay, next is Paris. Can you come to Paris for the week? Uh, Katya Lebec gave us one of her apartments. She had, she, she uh, owned some uh, real estate in the Murray, um, which is like, you know, the old Jewish quarter, which is mostly gay now. Fabulous. And, um, and we had a week in Paris. I got the flu. He took care of me. I did Madonna's makeup. Um, that was, and then she, somebody else took over. And we just kind of fell in love. And he said, hey, instead of going back to your New York apartment or back to your LA house, why don't you just spend the rest of August with me? 
and we played house. Wow. Um, and yeah, and then like from then on, um, I was like, I gotta go back to work in LA because I'm on the series. Um, come, come visit, you know, come, come. And we cried, we said goodbye because we didn't want to leave each other. And he came to LA and then he had to leave after three months. And in that period, I got pregnant. Ooh. Yeah, so um, I was kind of scared to tell him because I was shooting a Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> shooting machine guns and like my titties were getting bigger and I'm going oh my god I'm feeling nauseous what's going on I got I, got, I think I bought like seven pregnancy you know kit tests I kept on peeing on them like oh my god oh my god this must be wrong oh my god because I have, wasn't planning on it but you know we were so in love and I always wanted to be a mother um and it was positive. I had to wait to tell him an entire weekend of knowing because um, I had to run up, uh, jump on the airplane and go to Toronto. And when I told him, he started crying and, uh, and then he had to leave to go to Italy. And then he came back uh, with an engagement ring, which he like delivered cakes in Florence just to make enough money to like, you know, put like some uh, uh, of his grandma's diamonds from an old pin into a ring that's so wow. special to me. It was like nothing major, it was just like a little thing, but he made it himself. And, um, and that was it, then we got married. Within a year, we were pregnant, we bought a house in LA, and we were like shacked up and had a baby. Well, you got a good um, one. It's a good one, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and now it's 18 years later, and we, no, 19 years later, and we're still together. We love each other, and, uh, and we're, we're planning on spending more time in Italy. And um, So are you officially Lady Deborah Corcos? <laughs> I, I don't, you know, they don't give me a title. That's what I wanted to know. I'm like, so now, like, am I, like, you know, like, in it? And no, in Italy, the, you're the wife of. But I, <laughs> I, I am Signora. I really don't need a title. I would like one, but they, they're not giving it to me. So you guys <laughs> opened up a restaurant together called the Tuscan Gun, and you had a. We didn't do it together. Oh, you didn't do it together. I had nothing to do with that restaurant. It was up the street from my house. That was my husband's place, and it was a real popular destination point for five years. I would help him promote it, um, but it lasted five years. You know, in New York City, the restaurant business does not. It's very, very hard. You, you, the rents are so high here that, you know, you really don't, um, between paying your employees, getting all your licenses and all that, it's really hard to keep a successful restaurant. I mean, I am telling you, I cannot imagine how many stores and restaurants are going to be closed after all this because the rents are so high. And you all are really on just as much of a lockdown as us. I mean, the nice thing for you is you have more space. So you don't have to, like, you know, worry about the distancing so much. I mean, for those, like, Laurel Canyon people that want to go up into that nasty trail, I don't know what the appeal of that damn trail is. It's like, dog shit, bees, and actors. Bye. No. Is that why you moved back to Brooklyn? No, I moved back to Brooklyn because I did not want to raise my kids in L.A., Trust me when I tell you, only because I'm from here. And we right. always wanted, our dream is always to be, to, been to move back to Italy. So we're on, like, that's where we're, at, we're going. But my dream um, was never to stay in LA. I miss the Bougainvillea, the night jasmine, the sunshine, the space, the, the sunlight, the amount of light you have in the house. Living in the house I live in now, I have the lights on all the time, even when the sun's out. Like, you, you know, because you got to go from the front windows 
to the back windows, you know, so there's no light in between and I need light. And after living in LA, I was like, oh, and I, I have some wonderful, wonderful friends in LA. I love my friends in LA and I like living in LA, but I needed to raise my kids here because I wanted them to have eyes in the back of their head, be fierce bitches, no, because when you live in, when you're a New Yorker, there, it, it's a city unlike any other. And uh, there's something about growing up here that you are able generally to adapt no matter where you go because it's such an international melting pot. So, oh my God, I'm talking so much. Sorry. Well, I, I'm, I know we're keeping you, but really quickly, I just wanted to say that I really, really appreciate you and you know, you coming on and giving us your time like this and talking to us. I was really happy us. for you guys. I thought like, you know, oh, um, not only, I was, I, I hadn't heard any of the things you were doing, but when friend asked me to be supportive of their endeavor, uh, I'm like, okay, he's Oprah now, great. All right, whatever, let's give it a shot. <laughs> Oprah and Gail, all right. And, um, and, you know, I know you for a long time. So I thought like, all right, of course you have to support your friends. Um, and besides that, like, it gives me a chance to have a conversation, to push some information out there. Also, I'm being a little selfish because I did have to promote my show, Art in Madrid, MHC people. Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, I'm happy for you guys. And I even got the professional email, like, you know, with like, here's the zoom in link and you can add it to your calendar. It was very like professional. Very and I have to say, you ask the questions. Um, so that, that uh, good luck to you both. And I hope it's a, you know, a success. Now I have to go like take off my lipstick because I can't, you can't wear lipstick when you wear the mask. With the mask, it's all about eyeliner and no lipstick. Easy. So, yeah. <laughs> my last question is, what do you have to say to people who are listening in regards to what we are going through right now? I would say um, that uh, this is a real time to be introspective, to decide what it is that you think about your life moving forward after this moment is giving you time to calm down, relax if possible, um, try not to live in fear and, um, and you know, stay home, be responsible, uh, be, be responsible for your neighbor, for your grandmother, for uh, your community, because this is not going to, we're not going to return back to normal overnight. And I think that for people, you know, this too shall pass. I think it's important for people to make connection. And I'm loving seeing people's faces and talking on the phone again, instead of like tick, 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 with the texting. Yeah. And also I feel like this moment's made everybody um, it's, it's, it's almost nauseating where everybody's a, a cooking show person now on Instagram, everybody's a doctor or arts and crafts, but it's also people need to express themselves in whatever crazy way they do and put it out there because they just need a release. So I think cut people some slack, you know, everybody's going through it in their own way. You know, just don't be so quick to judge. I have friends like, Oh my God, I tested negative. I'm like, Oof, I wish you tested positive. So at least you get past it. You know, I mean, right. in a weird way, like it, everyone's living in such fear. And I just think like right now, just try to, you know, live your best life in the situation that you're in because you, you really just don't know. No, oh, beautifully said. Yeah.
too long. I drag shit. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, she's a drag queen. Yeah. That's why. Yes. <laughs> well, thank so, you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And um, have a good rest of the week and stay healthy. You right? too. And uh, stay safe and uh, reach out whenever you want. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Debbie. I really, really just appreciate you. I appreciate your talent. I appreciate your courage. I live, live, live for you. And for you guys, don't forget Arde Madrid. It's coming out May 5th on MHZ channel, I think it is. So look it up and I will put the link up on the website so that way you can check it out. And don't forget, work dance class will be on again after this pandemic is done. So I look forward to seeing you guys again and voguing with you guys again. Love you guys. From me and Miss Kim Blackwell, we say goodbye until the next time.